0: This morning, John chapter twenty, and uh, I I liked every every one of those songs. Um, I I do love to tell the story. (laughs) Um, I remember a a job that I had. I don't know a little bit after I graduated high school. It was a little a small team of people. Uh, There were about four of us, and three of us worked at a time. You know, we kind of rotated to have days off and. I worked with another guy and uh, a lady one day and, and she came in one Monday and just, you know, it was after lunch at this point, you know, it wasn't even early in the day and in conversation, she just said it in passing that she'd got married over the weekend. I mean, just like it was nothing. He said, hold on back up. What did you say? And she said, well, I got married this weekend. Okay, and you you know it's after lunch now and you're just now thinking to mention that to us. We didn't know ahead of time, you know, we haven't said anything at this point, you know. I've forgotten to I might forget to tell you a lot of things. You know, I could have a good steak and, and not think to tell you about it when I come into work the next Monday, but you got married and you just said it like it was nothing. You didn't tell anybody How much more? Should we who have heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been changed by its power, been brought from death to life, out of darkness, into His marvelous light, you can going to just forget to mention that? and Not tell it to anyone? Amen. Uh, God doesn't need me. Um, he could just throw some words up in the sky and from a cloud and and say repent and believe the gospel Um, but he chose to carry his message to the world through his church amen let's not preach the sermon before we read the scripture john chapter 20 we'll begin reading with verse 11 but mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the tomb Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teach her. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples, uh, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Would you pray with me again? Lord, we do thank you for your word. And that we do have the opportunity, week after week, to tell the story. Because this isn't just a story. It is life-changing good news. Lord, I thank you for the change that you've made in so many of us. That you have saved us. That we have seen you. We have heard your voice. Lord, I pray for those who have not yet heard your voice, who have not yet believed in you. May they believe today. And may we who have heard and seen not be content to simply rejoice in what we have heard and seen, but to turn and tell this lost world about Jesus who died and rose again. And it is in His name that I pray. Amen. We've, we're nearing the end of John's Gospel. <clears throat> We've spent, we spent months considering Jesus' teachings in the upper room. He tried to prepare them and warn them of all that was about to take place, what was about to happen. Then He was arrested, tried, beaten, mocked, and crucified. They saw him die. John gave his own testimony. He said, the one who has seen this, who gives this testimony, knows that what he is saying is true. I have borne witness. I've seen it with my own eyes. Jesus Christ died. We saw when Joseph and Nicodemus came and carried him off to the tomb and buried him. But now, the first day of the week has come. Mary and some other women have come to the tomb. John only tells us about Mary Magdalene. But when you look at the other Gospels, at this point, the women have come. There's been an earthquake. The soldiers have fallen down as dead men and run back home. The stone is rolled away. They've seen angels. Mary ran and told the other disciples, they have taken away the Lord from the tomb. That was her first instinct. Her first intuition was someone has stolen his body. She ran and told the disciples, Peter and John, they ran to check out the scene. John got there first, but he didn't go in. Peter got there just after him and never stopped, just ran right into the tomb. And it was empty. The grave clothes were there. Grave robbers wouldn't have taken the time to undress the body and search it for valuables then. They would have just stolen the body and done it later. But even if they had, if they knew they wouldn't be caught and they did take the time to do it then, why would they fold the napkin and set it in a place by itself? Something has happened here besides grave robbers. And the Scriptures tell us that when the other disciple, we believe John, came to the tomb first, he went in also after Peter, he saw... And believed. He believed. They didn't know yet the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. But John saw and believed. So they've gone back home. Where we pick up today, Mary Magdalene has come back to the tomb. She's there alone, presumably. She stood outside the tomb, weeping. She's still convinced it's been a robbery. She's looking for the body of Jesus. She stoops down and looks into the tomb. She's already been there. She knows he's not there. It's kind of like a uh, silly analogy, but when you lose the remote, right? You, you, the first place you look is where it should be, right? On the table or, you know, shoved under the cushion or something, you know, that's proper place. And you look all around, you, you go and look in every room of the house, you check the kid's toy basket, you, you're opening all the cabinet doors, where could it have been carried off by this wonderful 10-month-old who likes to take things and drool all over them and hide them. And then you come back after all that time and you look in the first place that, that you started just thinking that maybe it appeared while you had been gone and looking elsewhere. But it's still not there. Mary has seen that the body is gone from the tomb. She left to go tell the disciples. She doesn't know where Jesus is, but she comes back and she looks in again. Just maybe, just maybe, he's in there. She saw more than just the body of Jesus. She, she didn't see that at all. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They say, well, woman, why are you weeping? And we've talked about this before. That wasn't a disrespectful, you know, hey lady. It was, it was like, ma'am. Ma'am, why are you weeping? She said, because they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. She's convinced. When she said this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And knew not that it was Jesus. Maybe it was the blur from the tears in her eyes. Maybe she was just so emotionally distraught that she couldn't think straight. She just didn't recognize Him. I mean, after all, she was expecting Him to be dead. But she never once budges from what she believes to be true. Somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. Jesus. She came to the tomb. His body is gone. Someone must have stolen him. The grave clothes are there. The napkin is folded. Oh, somebody must have stolen him. Angels show up. What's it going to take? Angels show up and they say he's not here. Or, why are you weeping? She says they've stolen his body. Jesus himself walks up and says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She says, Do you have him? Now, this is really strange. I don't think I've ever known a woman to have had her mind made up that she couldn't be convinced otherwise, no matter the evidence. Never seen that before in my life. Some people... I'm not picking on you, (laughs) Ashley. Some people will say that, well, Jesus' body was stolen, but the disciples knew that Jesus had told them that He would rise. And so whenever they came to the tomb, their pre-understanding, their expectation was that He would be risen. And so even though something else happened to the body, even though someone probably stole the body, they were fully convinced that He had risen from the dead. And they convinced themselves of that and preached the gospel and that's how Christianity got started. But the Scriptures really tell us another story. The pre-understanding, the bias in the story is not that Jesus has risen from the dead and we're going to write off every other explanation because we believe He's back. No, the bias is that someone must have stolen Jesus' body. And all the evidence is trying to say something else. The evidence says the clothes are here. The napkin is folded. The evidence says the body is gone, just like He said. The evidence says there are stinking angels The evidence says Jesus walked right up behind her. And she still didn't know it was Him. There are people today who say that they are seeking after God. You know, I would believe the Scriptures. I'm I'm a seeker. I'm looking for Jesus. And if I'm ever fully convinced, I, I will believe. If I would ever see just enough evidence, I would become a Christian. But in reality... The human mind is made up against God. The posture of the human heart is not to believe what God has said. And even with all the evidence, just like Mary, there is never going to be enough evidence to fully convince you. There will always be a yeah, but. Jesus himself walks up to her, says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she just thought he was the gardener. It's the landscaping guy. She says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where he is. I'll take him. If he's in your way, if you think, well, he's just a, a crucified criminal. He doesn't deserve a nice tomb like this. Whatever reason you had for moving his body, tell me where you put him and I'll take him away. Even in her seeking Jesus, she expected him to be dead, and Jesus exceeded her expectations. Whatever we may be seeking God for, he will always do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask her think. She would have been satisfied just to find the dead body of Jesus in the tomb. That would have... Satisfied her, she would have been happy to know that his body was at rest. But God did something even greater than that. Jesus was alive. Verse 16 Jesus said to her, Mary, That was all it took. She recognized his voice. She had heard him call her name before. It was a familiar sound. He said, Mary. And she turned and said, teacher. (laughs) And apparently she embraced him. She either hugged him or fell at his feet and took hold of his... Ankles even. He came to her personally. He called her by name. Jesus said 10 chapters ago. John chapter 10. He said, my sheep know my voice. They hear me. And they follow me. People may say they're seeking Jesus. They may say that they're looking for evidence. But what will really convince a person, what really opens the eyes of the blind, what really brings the spiritually dead back to life is when Jesus personally and individually calls someone's name. Lazarus was dead in the tomb in chapter 11. Jesus comes, he weeps, he says, Move the stone. They say, No, he stinks. He said, Move the stone. They moved it. And he didn't just say, Come forth. Some have suggested that if all he had said was come forth, every dead person in the cemetery would have walked out. But he said, Lazarus, come out. And he who had been dead came alive. Jesus came to Mary. He called her by name. And the one who was fully convinced that he was dead, there was no way he was alive, someone had taken his body, instantly believed and knew who he was. Salvation is a personal work of God. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He knows his sheep by name. And many of you can give testimony to the day that He called your name. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to My Father. She, she would have stayed. She would have held to His feet forever. Thrilled, rejoicing that He was alive. But he makes it clear to her that he's not staying. Maybe she thought this would be a case like Lazarus. He had died. He rose from the dead. And he went back to live in his life. Until he died again. Maybe she, that's what she expected from Jesus. It's what she had seen before. Jesus is back. He's here to stay. But he says, no, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended. To my Father. The relationship is about to change. It's not going to be as it always has been. Jesus has promised, not that He would stay with them, but He said, I will send you another Comforter. Another Helper. The Holy Spirit. He said, do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to My Father, but go to My brethren and say to them... I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. There's a shift here as well after the death and resurrection of Jesus in how God reaches the world. You see, in the Old Testament, God established a nation, it was a come and see kind of religion. God established Israel so that all the world would see their ways. They would see how they worshipped. Would, they would see how God had prospered them. And they would come from all the ends of the earth and see and believe in the God of Israel. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is no longer reaching the world through a come and see kind of religion. There's a change. Now the command is not come and see, but it's Go. And tell. There is no single nation on the earth that has possession of God, and we must go to that nation and see how they worship so that we can know God. No, now God has given His word, and He's given a command to go out and reach the world. Do not cling to me, but go to my brethren, my brothers. He calls them His brothers. Think about the last time they saw Jesus. They abandoned Him. One denied Him. One cursed His name. But they all left Him. Jesus comes back and says, Go tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my Father. And not just my Father but my Father and your Father. My God and your God. You see, there's a new relationship with God and with Christ after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, all who believe in Him, all who have been called by His name, can call Jesus Christ their brother you, if you have believed, if you have been born again, your brother is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is he your brother, but he says, I ascend to my father and your father. It was a a, a novel thing. It was a, 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 a crazy, astounding concept when Jesus came and prayed what we call the Lord's Prayer and said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. That was the problem they had with Jesus. He claimed God to be His own Father. You can't do that. He's just just God. He's out there. He's other than us. He's separate from us. We can't have that kind of close relationship to Him. And they were right. Before Jesus, you couldn't. But now that He has come, sinful man has been reconciled back to God. God. Jesus took our sin and our punishment on the cross. Now we've been redeemed, we've been washed, we've been made clean, we're set free. And now we don't come to Him and just call Him God. We can say, My Father. Just as much as Jesus can call Him Father, now you, a brother, or Jesus as your brother, can call Him your Father. Through the death and resurrection, He is our Father. He is my Father. And Christ is my brother. That's Mary's message that she brings to the disciples. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, that He had spoken these things to her. That's the message we take to the world. There is reconciliation between man and God. You can have a relationship with God the Father in heaven. You can call Him your own. That's the message we proclaim. She said, I've seen the Lord. And He says, He's going back to His Father and your Father. And that's the last we see of Mary here. Verse 19, then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. They were locked away in in a room, afraid. Jesus shows up and the first thing he says is, peace be with you. I think it was probably necessary to settle them down once he showed up. First of all, because the doors were locked. And we don't know exactly how Jesus got in. Did he walk through the door? Did he kick it in? Did he just poof, there he is standing in the middle of the room? I don't know. But either way, they're sitting there already fearful because of the Jews. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. Guys, calm down. Peace. <laughs> Peace to you. He pronounces peace on them. One, because he probably scared them showing up. But also, they're afraid of the Jews. And they were were right to be afraid of the Jews. The Jews probably would have come and done the same to them as they did to Jesus. I've been reading the book of Acts with a group uh, weekly. And we've seen how that John and Peter were carried before Annas. The same man that Jesus stood before. Even Paul. After being arrested, Annas showed up. They were taken before the same leaders that Jesus was taken before. They wanted the same thing that happened to Jesus to happen to anybody who preached about Jesus. They were afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. But that peace goes beyond just fear in the moment, but now there is peace from the res- because of the resurrection. We have peace with God. It's an extension of what He said on the cross before He died. He said, it is finished. The work is done. Salvation is complete. You can have fellowship with God. Now He shows up and the first thing He says after that is, peace. We are no longer at enmity with God. We are no longer His enemies if we believe. Because of the resurrection, we have peace. verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why did he do that? Well, like Mary, at first glance, they might not have said, yeah, that's Jesus. They had no expectation that he would be alive. They were already fearful. They had had the worst weekend of their lives. And he shows up and says, look, it really is me. I'm the same person you saw crucified. See the nail prints in my hands and in my feet. See here on my side where they pierced me. And when they saw him, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Remember what he said back in chapter 16? He said in chapter 16 verse 20, most assuredly I say to you you will weep and lament the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned into joy Here they are in this room afraid as far as they know Jesus is still dead he shows up they see the the scars in his hands his feet and his side And they rejoice, surely that sorrow was turned into joy. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. And out of this peace comes a command. He says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. The first piece to you was to calm their fears. To let them know that everything was okay. What they thought had been so bad turned out to actually be really good. The best thing they could ever ask for. That now they have peace with God. But now He pronounces peace on them again. And out of this peace comes a commission. Comes a command. Just as the Father sent me, so I send you. Jesus has said it all along why He came. He came to reveal the truth about God. He came so that people would really know what God is like, really know who God is, that they might have a relationship with Him, that they might have their sins forgiven. And now He says, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you to do the same work, to proclaim the same good news, but now you've got the full story. I died and I came back. And that command comes out of peace. Jesus explained that a little further in Matthew 28, just before He ascended. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all the things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. The command to go and preach the gospel, the command to go and make the world, make God known to the world, comes with a promise of peace. It comes with a promise of the presence of God. Jesus told them even back in chapter 17. He said, my peace I leave with you. He promised to give them the Holy Spirit, that He would always be with them. And certainly today as we go, And proclaim, we have His peace. You don't have to be afraid to share the gospel. God Himself is with you. He said, I'm with you always to the very end. And as far as I can tell, the end has not come yet. He is still with us. So we proclaim the gospel. Verse 22, He had said this, He breathed on them, He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a a pledge, a promise. We know that 40 days after this, after Jesus had ascended, and they were waiting for Him again in a room, the Holy Spirit came, and they were given power to proclaim the gospel, and they went all over the world. You are here 2,000 years later on the opposite side of the globe because the Holy Spirit gave these men boldness and power to preach about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. And so have you. He is with you. And do you think the power that He gave them to preach is any more than the power He can give you to proclaim? Do you think that He's any less capable now of giving you boldness to open your mouth and share the gospel than He did to Peter who had denied Him to a servant girl? It's the same Holy Spirit, the same power that is at work in us. And we preach the same message. He says He breathed on them. It reminds me at least of Genesis. God has this creation. Animals and plants everywhere. And He says, let us make man in our image. So He forms a man out of the dust of the ground. It's just a form. It's just dust. It's just a body. No life in it. And God does something that he didn't do with any other creation. He didn't do this with the animals. He didn't do it with the plants. He didn't do it with a bug. He didn't do it with anything. He takes this lump of dust, this pile of dirt that he's just formed into a man, and the Bible says that he breathed into him. He breathed life into man. You are made in God's image. You exist, the being that you are, because God breathed life into man. But even greater than that, to those who have believed, He has breathed into us not just physical life, but He has breathed into us spiritual life. He has given us the Holy Spirit. We have the life of God in us. Remember Ezekiel, when he came to the valley of dry bones. There's an old dead army laying there in the valley. Bones scattered. And what's he commanded to do? Prophesy to the wind, to the breath, to the spirit. And what happened? The wind blew, breath Filled those dead bodies. The bones reassembled. Flesh covered it again. They stood up. Life was breathed into them. And they stood once again an army ready for battle. Ready to go to war. Those who had once been dead had new life breathed into them. The reason I think that there is so much apathy complacency in the church is because we have forgotten that we are at war. We are an army that has had new life breathed into us. Once dead in our sins, now made alive in Jesus Christ, we have been raised for one purpose, and that is to march into battle and preach the gospel. Life is war. The work of missions is war. Spiritual forces stand against us. The world stands against us. But we are to put on the whole armor of God to stand firm against the attacks of Satan and to preach the good news that Jesus died for sins and rose from the dead and He's coming again. That is what we have been called to do. That is the life that God has given us. He breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the same breath of God has been given to you if you are saved. Quickly, we'll touch verse 23. I think it needs a little bit of explanation. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And that's a misunderstood verse by some. I think the closest thing we have to a parallel uh, is when Jesus asks the disciples, Who do you say that I am? Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, You're exactly right, Peter. God's revealed it to you on this rock. I'll build my church. The gates of hell won't stand against it. And then he says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has been loosed in heaven. And then in chapter 18 of of Matthew he, he comes in as giving instructions for basically discipline in the church. If someone is caught in a sin, you approach that person. If they don't repent, you take some witnesses. If they still don't repent, you bring them to the front of the church. If they still won't repent, you treat them like an unbeliever. You excommunicate them. And he says the same thing. You have the what you bind on earth has been bound in heaven what you loose on earth has been loosed in heaven i think the point that he's getting at here is that we have not been it's not an authority for christians to forgive sins we can't do that only god can forgive sins but we are we are bold and we are confident as people repent and believe we can say with authority that your sins have been forgiven the church that's kind of what church membership is. Ask one of your deacons about it. We've been talking about it, talking about it all year. When we look at a person's life and they say, I have, I have put my trust in Jesus Christ and we examine their life and we say, you know what, you're not living in sin. It looks like there's some fruits that, that display repentance. Yes, you can be a member of our church. But the opposite has to happen too, that if there's someone in the church who starts living like the world and has no repentance, then the opposite thing has to happen, right? We can't say with confidence, your sins have been forgiven, because they're not giving us any fruit to see. We have been authorized to proclaim the message of God's forgiveness through Jesus. We can boldly and confidently say, if someone repents and believes in Him, your sins have been forgiven. We have that authority. We take the world the message of forgiveness. But if we hold back that message, if we don't proclaim it, it's just like we're retaining the sins of unbelievers. If we don't take the message, how will they believe? How will they hear unless they have a preacher? Paul says. We have a responsibility to take the message of forgiveness to the world. And if we don't, it is a tragedy. We withhold the treasure of God from a world who is in desperate need of it. We have been authorized as the church to do one thing. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore... This is the one single, the only thing that we have been authorized to do. Go and make disciples, baptize, and teach. We have one job. We have seen the risen Christ, not physically. We've seen the witness of John and Matthew and Luke and Mark and Paul. We've heard the witness of those whose lives have been changed by the power of this message. And we ourselves, who have believed, have experienced that change. In a sense, you can say, we have seen. We don't wait and try to get the world to come see us so that they can know God. But we are to see, like Mary, like the disciples. And then go tell and carry the gospel starting right here in Pilot Mountain, in Surrey County, in North Carolina, and to the ends of the earth. Will you join me in that mission? Stand and let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word, for the power that we are given by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can be bold and faithful to share the gospel that Jesus came to forgive sinners. He died for sins, he rose from the dead, and he's coming again. We have been authorized to make disciples, to baptize new believers, and to teach them all that you've commanded us. Had the eleven seen the resurrected Christ and only rejoiced in it in their own vindication for the rest of their lives and never told a soul, we would not be here today. Lord, may we never be the ones where the message stops. But may we faithfully and boldly proclaim that Christ is risen and offers forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.